Hi everyone, thanks for joining me again today. Today we're going to start a new series and the series is called By My Spirit and it's based on the verse that we find in Zechariah 4 verse 6 where it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to take time to journey together and look at four things specifically. Number one, being filled with the spirit. Number two, being led by the spirit. Number three, being empowered by the spirit. And then finally, number four, we're going to talk about Pentecost. And that just so happens that the Sunday we're speaking on Pentecost is what's in the Christian calendar as Pentecost Sunday. So I'm going to be believing God for doing supernatural things on that day. And during this next four weeks, as we take a moment just to focus on the indwelling presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the precious Holy Spirit in our lives. So today we want to look at being filled with the Spirit. Now, we often call ourselves spirit-filled Christians. What do we mean by that? We mean simply that we are a spirit-filled people. We are called to be a spirit-filled people. People who now have God's spirit living in them. Now, it's very important that we understand that we're talking about the spirit of the almighty God now living in our lives because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. Not a spirit, the spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God's very own spirit now living in our lives to enable us to live the lives he's called us to live. Now, when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we're speaking very much about the uh, the spirit of God who's existed for all time, very God continually in existence in the Old Testament, in creation, constantly being able to be seen working and outworking the things of God in different locations, places on the earth and off of the earth in the realm that we understand as this realm, but also the supernatural realm also. In the beginning, we see him present in creation, don't we? Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that before God had formed the world as we know it, there was a great void and God spoke. And it says the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we now know to be living in us, was hovering over the void and brought into actuality the things that the Father spoke. Then throughout the Old Testament, we constantly see him and we hear about the Holy Spirit being in the temple, being in the tabernacle. We read about moments like the example of Samson, where the Holy Spirit came upon a person to enable them to do supernatural, unnormal things. Samson knew a strength and an ability that wasn't normal. It was because the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, Spirit who now lives in us was upon his life in that moment. Countless other examples throughout the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit on the earth doing things for purposes of God, outworking things that were in the heart of the Father. And then obviously we know that the Holy Spirit was present in the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy Spirit wasn't just limited to being 
in this place called the Holy of Holies. It was from that place that God was able to have relationship with man. There was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from, um, at that point, an unholy people. And the Holy Spirit was within the Holy of Holies, communing with man, yet he wasn't limited to being only in that place. We'll learn in a few moments about the omnipresence of God. But these are moments when we read the Old Testament that we hear about the Holy Spirit on the earth ministering um, to God's people, ministering, God ministering to us by his spirit. Now, the plan of God was always for his spirit not to live in buildings made by men, but to live in the hearts of those who were redeemed by Christ. Now, God's plan was to make our lives his temples. Now, for that to happen, our lives that were unholy needed to be made holy so that the one who was holy, his Holy Spirit, could be alive, living and dwelling within us. Now, that's where we look to the atonement of what Jesus did at the cross. It was at the cross when Jesus shed his blood and the blood that he shed for the sin of the world satisfied the father as payment for sin. So suddenly the argument of sin or that which made us unholy was settled and dealt with for those who place faith in Christ, which then meant that the Holy Spirit could come and live not in buildings that we meet in or buildings that we construct made of concrete or brick, but in the very temple of our lives. That's powerful, isn't it? You see, this was also um, an eternal plan. It wasn't a last moment plan that God suddenly said, we need to put our spirit, you know, inside of people. This was always God's eternal plan that his spirit would come to live in the hearts and the lives of me and you. And we could see this throughout what the prophets taught when we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, specifically looking at Joel and Ezekiel. You know, Joel um, foretold the coming of God's spirit when he said in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit, says the Lord, upon all flesh. And then we look at what Ezekiel taught when you look in Ezekiel um, chapter 36 to verse 26, when he speaks of God's eternal plan being that he would take out of us an old heart, a heart of stone, and he would put in us a new heart. But also it says in that verse that he would put his spirit, a new spirit in our hearts. So we receive a new heart, but we also receive a new spirit his spirit at that moment when we're born again. So the prophets clearly foretold that this was the eternal plan of God, that for a moment in the old covenant under the law, the Holy Spirit dwelt in buildings made by men. But that was a temporal plan. God's eternal plan was to heal the sin issue that made man unholy, not just to save them, but that, that he could then come and live in the lives of those who had been made righteous through Christ. Um, Not only did the prophets speak of it, 
Um, the coming of God's Spirit is also the promise of the Father. Now, we read about this in Luke 24, verse 49, where Jesus says these words, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. What was Jesus speaking about? Jesus was referring to the coming of God's Spirit to live in the hearts of our life, not just be upon our lives. Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, listen, I've given you a great commission. I'm calling you to go and change the world, but don't leave yet because you're still in your own ability. Rather wait until that which the Father promised, which was the coming of the Holy Spirit, happens, which we know as the day of Pentecost. And from that moment, God will no longer be outside of your life, but he will be, he will be within your life, giving you power and ability to outwork the things I've called you to do. So we see the prophets clearly foretold the coming of God's Spirit. We see that um, Jesus showed us that the Father had promised it, that the coming of the Holy Spirit was a gift, but also a promise of the Father. But Jesus clearly taught about <coughs> the coming of the Holy Spirit, especially when we read around the book of John, chapter 14, 15, 16. In those last moments when Jesus is getting his disciples ready for the moment where he would be crucified, where he would be buried, where he would rise from the dead, <clears throat> where they would see him ascend to be seated at the right hand side of the Father. Jesus didn't want to surprise them with the coming of the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to be fully aware that this was a part of the great plan of God, that after Jesus rose from the dead, the Father, satisfied with the blood that Jesus has shed, would send what he promised to send which wasn't a spirit but his spirit the third person of the trinity the third person of the godhead the same spirit that rose jesus from the dead that he would send his spirit upon the church not the building the people now this is exciting because we hear jesus very clearly uh, unashamedly speaking these things to the disciples in the moments before the, um, he leaves to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says in John 14, just to grab a couple of these, these um, examples for you to see that this wasn't just what the prophets foretold, what the Father had promised, but it was a key part of the final teachings of the Lord in that upper room moment with his disciples. And he says to them, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate, a helper, to help you <clears throat> and be with you forever. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, the spirit of truth. Now, people would say, well, maybe he wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, he obviously was, because his very next statement when he says, I'm going to send you a helper, is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Now listen to this, for he lives with you and will be in you. He was living with them in Christ, but Jesus was saying he lives with you, but he will also be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, helpless, <coughs> vulnerable, without help. 
but rather I will come to you. Well, wait a moment, Jesus. You're going to rise from the dead and you're going to be seated at the right hand side of the father. What do you mean that you will come to us? That's where we need to understand the power of the Trinity, God in three persons. That when God sent his spirit upon the church, upon people like you and me from that first initial moment ever since right up to the present, he sent his spirit. The spirit of Jesus Christ was sent by the Father, God's own spirit, to not dwell with man, as the spirit had dwelt with man in Christ, but also now to be in man. He will be with you. He will be in you. <clears throat> now, the timeline of this is obviously um, first comes the ascension of Jesus. Jesus enters heaven after paying the price to redeem um, a separated fallen humanity. The issue between God and man had been sorted through what Christ had done on the cross. And then just as the father promised, he sent the Holy Spirit. And we can read about this in Acts 2, verses 2, uh, two to 5. I'm not going to speak too much about that moment that we call Pentecost, because at the end of our series, the fourth part of our series, we're going to be speaking specifically about this moment called Pentecost, where we know that the followers of Jesus, as they'd been told to do, had, had gathered in an upper room, and all of a sudden there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the Holy Spirit, as the Father promised, came down from heaven, and it was like a cloud that hovered upon them. But then the cloud or the fire of God broke off into an individual tongue, and each person in the room was individually filled and empowered by by God's spirit and that's when history was suddenly changed in a whole new way because God was no longer present by his spirit in one person Jesus Christ his only beloved son but now the same Holy Spirit that was the spirit of Jesus was now present in the lives or the temples of many people and the church began to grow and that's all of a sudden the power of God was being witnessed in places all over and the church began to expand as people went to different nations the Holy Spirit went with them and in them and nations were changed it was an exciting moment in church history now like we've been saying <clears throat> it was God's new covenant plan in the old covenant God's plan was for the time of the old covenant that God's spirit, his spirit would dwell for a relationship with man inside of temples and tabernacles. But we can't afford to live by the dynamics of a covenant that's been replaced. You see, the old covenant would, was replaced with a new covenant. You can't have an old covenant unless there's a new covenant. And the new covenant shows us that God's spirit is no longer in or trapped in brick or mortar or the holy of holies because remember that moment when Jesus gave up his spirit when he said into my hand into your hands I commit my spirit Lord it says at that moment where Jesus died that death as our substitute on our behalf and we died in him it was a co-crucifixion it says in that moment the veil in the temple that veil is what separated God's people and unholy people from a holy spirit that 
veil was torn and it wasn't God's people tearing it going in. It was torn from the top. It was rent in twain, the King James says. And it was torn. Now that curtain was so thick. It was so big. It couldn't have been torn by man. No, that was the moment where God's spirit tore the separation, the shower curtain between a holy God and an unholy people. That was God's spirit coming out because that was a former covenant experience. A new covenant had just begun where God didn't live in buildings made by men, but in the lives of those he'd redeemed. Now, we understand the Bible teaches this very clearly. One passage that underlines it is in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 3. And it says in verse 16, Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church. And he says these words because he's looking at them living lives that are really not good Christian lives. And he could have rebuked them for the fruit of what they were doing, but he went to the root of their misunderstanding of who they now were. Now, it says that he turned to them and he says, do you not know? Do you not know that you are now a temple of God and that the spirit of God now dwells, lives in you? You see, the reason their behavior was contrary to kingdom behavior was they never actually believed it was a concept. The indwelling of God by his spirit was a concept, so it didn't affect their daily lives. But the moment they realized, wait a moment, God's spirit now lives in us for them and for us. That changes everything. Now, God's plan um, of his spirit being sent was a fourfold plan. Um, Four of the key things that God had in mind in doing that was that we could be born of the Spirit. Number two, we could be sealed by the Spirit, that we would experience the regeneration of the Spirit, but also that we could experience the initial, but also the ongoing filling of the Spirit. Now, verses that underline those things, obviously born of the Spirit, John 3, verses 5 to 6, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of Spirit is Spirit, you must be born again. Now, new birth into being a new born, born again, born from above believer comes from a birth that's found in the Holy Spirit, not a birth that's found in the flesh that you knew in Adam to be present on the earth. When Jesus said you must be born again, he was speaking of a birth that's a spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit. And then he speaks of the regeneration of the spirit, Titus chapter three, verses five to six, where it speaks about how the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into the regeneration that God intended for us. But then it speaks in Ephesians 1.13 of being sealed with the spirit. And this is really a picture of our salvation, that when a person receives Christ, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 1.13 that that person's life is then sealed or marked with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a wonderful thing. It's that moment where you know that your name is unblotted from the Lamb's book of life, that God has placed a seal upon your life, that because you've believed in Jesus, your life now belongs to him. But actually, the Bible also teaches on a person not just being sealed by the Spirit, but being filled by the Spirit. But God doesn't just want to mark our lives now as his, that he now has bought us, our lives belong to him. But God's plan is that our lives wouldn't just be sealed 
but they would be filled. And we can read about that in Ephesians 5, where, where Paul encourages the Ephesian church as he encourages us. Don't be drunk with other things now. That's so last season. That's so who you used to be. Don't be overcome by other things. Rather, be filled. And we know that the translation actually reads, be being filled. There's a continued ongoing tense to that. He says, don't be filled with other stuff, junk you were once filled with. Your life has now been sealed by the Spirit. Let your life be filled and be being filled with God's Spirit. I love that. That's so powerful, isn't it? Now, God's Spirit is now in us, not just with us. And we understand when we talk about the presence of God's Spirit, we have three um, definitions or experiences. And there's the omnipresence of God, there's the manifest presence of God, and there's the indwelling presence of God. When we speak about the omnipresence of God, we understand that God is everywhere. God owns everything. There's no place that God isn't present. That's the omnipresence of God. When we speak of the manifest presence of God, that's like that moment in the meeting where you suddenly feel him in the room, the made known presence of God. Now, all of those things are wonderful I love those moments where you sense the presence of God in a meeting but actually isn't it greater that when we understand that that same presence that's being made known in a meeting also lives and dwells continually in us that our life is now the postcode not of a spirit but God's own spirit living in us now God he came to save us that our lives would be sealed by the Holy Spirit but he also come that we could experience his spirit filling our lives so that God doesn't just own the house but he's able to fill influence empower every room so there's a difference isn't there between being sealed with the spirit and being filled with the spirit and sadly, many Christians just settle for being sealed with the Spirit. They say, it's wonderful. I've been born again of the Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who's regenerated me. Old creation, new creation. Um, I've been born again. That's wonderful. I've been sealed by the Spirit. There's a mark on my life that now says, <coughs> I belong to God. That is wonderful. But how more wonderful is the thought that God would flood your life with his rule and reign, his ability and his power. That's what it is to be filled with the spirit. Now, God wants you to understand this, not in a way that it's a theology or a concept, but rather you would know and feel and be empowered by his spirit now living in you, actively working on you and through you, turning any weakness into strength, um, turning stuff where you feel broken into being whole. The good news of the gospel is it doesn't introduce us to a God that wants to remain on the outside of us. Rather, it introduces us to a God plan where God saves us, but then comes to live in us. We could look at this, there's many examples that preachers have used for many years to try and um, put this into a picture. One that I've heard that's a really good one is that you could buy a car and you could own the registration of that car. The registration or the mark of that registration says that the car is now yours. That's different to you owning the car 
but then opening the front door or opening the driver's door and getting into the car and driving the car. One's a matter of ownership. The other one is a matter of experience. Now, we don't want to settle for just belonging to God, even though that's incredible. We want to know God's spirit now in us, filling every part of our lives. And that's the intention of God. That's what the prophets foretold when they said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. When Ezekiel said, I'll take out of you an old heart, I'll put a new heart into you, a new spirit into you. They were speaking of his intention of God where suddenly we weren't just Christians sealed, but we were sealed and filled. Now, that means that every one of us are able to take God at his promise and say, Lord, thank you that you've sealed me by your spirit for salvation. But Lord, would you flood my life now? Would you fill my life now, there's many different ways of saying how this happens and the theology behind this thought process. But if we could just gather at the end of this moment around the thought that God wants to fill your life, every part of your life, with his spirit. What's his spirit? His power, his ability, his wisdom. Because it's when we have the spirit filling us that we suddenly see the fruit of the Spirit being developed in us and the gifts of the Spirit flowing from us. It's the life of someone now within us making himself known. Every one of us, God wants us to know the filling of his Spirit. That moment when we say, God, my life belongs to you. I'm yours. I'm heaven bound. But God, I don't want to miss out on anything. God, would you fill me? That's a little bit. Another example could be that God could own the house, but a lot of the doors in the house could be shut or locked. To be filled with the Spirit is for us to open all the doors, our sexuality, our finances, everything that makes us who we are. And for us to pray, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the seal of my salvation flood the house, fill every room, fill every part of who I am. I don't believe that we need tarrying meetings because what we're doing is receiving something God promised that he would give. What we need is simple childlike faith. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved me. You've caused me to be born again. You've made me a new creation. I now bring this life to you and I say, I don't want you just to be the owner of the car, but I want you to sit in the driving seat. I'm getting out of the driving seat. I'm getting into the passenger chair. I want you to drive this life. I want you to do with this life the things that you want to do. I want you to be everything that you want to be in and through me. Now, we're going to carry on next week from this platform that we've laid. But God says that we all can know the filling of the spirit. You see, salvation is a gift. It comes when you ask for it and receive it. The filling of the Holy Spirit is, again, a gift. It's the second gift of the Father. 
when you say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, now will you fill my life with your spirit? In that moment, the father always gives the gift that he promised he would. But the thing is, do we receive the Holy Spirit for him to reside within us in inactivity? Are we spirit filled so that we can just walk around saying to people, I'm a spirit filled Christian? Or is there more to being spirit filled? Remember, when it comes to being sealed, that's a one time event. We're sealed by the spirit, regenerated one time event, born again, one time event. But when we look at the filling of the spirit, actually, the Bible says we can be filled when we're initially filled by God with his spirit. But then, like it says in Ephesians, we're to be being filled. But being filled by the spirit is a continued thing that we can experience in our daily lives, a continued empowerment, a, a, a continued life force flowing through who we are, making a difference through us. But what I want to put to you in this opening session of this new series called By My Spirit is do we believe that our lives have been filled with the Holy Spirit? Or have we made it a concept and a theology when actually God says it's to be a daily reality, something every one of us experience, not just those who are church leaders. Every believer is called to be a temple that knows the indwelling of God's spirit in their life. But also the Bible teaches that when we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we're to then let the Holy Spirit lead our lives and also empower our lives. So next week, we're going to carry on looking at what is it to be led by the Spirit? Number one, we understand that God did good on what he promised. He saved us, sealed us with his Spirit. Now he's filled us with his Spirit. But what does a Spirit-led life look like? Come back and join me next week, and we'll open up that subject and then the next week, we'll talk about what an empowered, a spirit empowered life looks like. And then we'll finish our time together by taking a moment saying, what is Pentecost? What did it mean for the people then? What does it mean for me today? Come and join me again next week. Have an incredible week. God bless.